You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Mark chapter 3. If the key to a good message is a good title, I think I've got this one in the bag. A part of the family of God. Being a part of the family of God. Doesn't just that phrase warm you? Isn't it, isn't it heartwarming to think that we can be a part of the family of God? That idea that in Christ we are sons and daughters of the King is a phenomenal truth. It really is. And it should encourage us. It should, it should warm us. It should bring us hope and good feelings. And I hope that hearing that phrase, that you are a part of the family of God if you know Christ, makes you feel good. And now I hope that you will hold on to that feeling, because you probably won't have it for the next 30 minutes or so. I'm not sure what I'm going to say today is immensely popular in our culture and even within the church. I think that this is one of the messages from Mark, it's in the Word of God, that rubs us the wrong way. And the truth is, there are always messages, and every culture has certain aspects of the culture that has things that rub you the wrong way. And so the Word of God hits us here, and it hit different people in a different place 100 years ago, but this is where we sit. And I think it's particularly interesting that this idea that we're going to talk about today is something that that we've embraced in the church in a greater way than many of the other problems that our culture faces. If you are the kind of family that, on the way home, has a... What is going on? How is that lopsided? If you're one of the families that, on the way home, you have a discussion about the message, that you talk about you know, what was said and whether it was biblical, whether it was right and how you can apply it to your family, which I, I encourage you to do that. I think it's a great practice. But if you're like that, this is one of the days that I wish I could be in your car and know what you thought, know what you're talking about. This is one of the days that I'm a little bit scared of what my wife's going to say when we get in the car and talk about it. I hope I have your attention. <clears throat> Just remember, you're a part of the family of God, right? Feels good. Mark chapter 3. Last Sunday evening, we covered up to verse 30 of Mark 3. The story about the scribes accusing Jesus of using the power of Satan to perform miracles and to cast out demons was actually an interruption to the story that we're going to be dealing with today. So the story we're dealing with today begins in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, verse 20 and 21, and then it takes this little break, this detour, and then Mark picks up that idea again in, in verse 31. And so we're going to begin reading Mark chapter 3, verse 20 this morning. The Bible says, The multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. So the scene is familiar. Jesus is going around, and, and he's gathered such a crowd that every day activities become very difficult. He is now simply trying to have a meal, and he can't even eat bread because there's such a crowd pushing in on him. When I picture this, I picture this scene 
Imagine you were at a, a, a music concert of some kind, and there was no assigned seating. And so you had thousands and thousands of people trying to get as close as they possibly could to the band because they want to have the best spot. And there's nobody policing it. And so you have crowds and crowds of people pushing closer and closer and closer, trying to get to Christ, and it's getting to the point he can't, he can't have a meal. He can't sit down and eat. And so his family hears about this, and they hear about all that's been happening, and they think, oh no, Jesus has gone crazy. We need to get there, and we need to help him. Right? I think they think Jesus was, was some type of religious fanatic, some type of cult leader, or something like that, because they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Savior. And so, but, but they hear about this happening, and man, we got to go save Jesus. Imagine, we have to go save Jesus. That's what they were thinking. And so they're heading toward Jesus, and then in the next eight verses, we have the scribes and the Pharisees accusing Jesus of using Satan's power, and Jesus saying, no, that's actually, it's not Satan's power, because if it was Satan's power, then Satan would be rising against Satan, and that house cannot stand. And then he warns them about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that they're in danger of committing a sin that is unforgivable. And so that's, it's a really serious warning, a serious text. But in verse 31, Jesus gets back to the family. Verse 31, it says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. So they've now come, they've arrived where he is, but this crowd is so dense that they have no ability to get to Jesus. So instead of trying to get to him, they send a messenger. Hey, can you pass the word along? Tell Jesus that his mom and his brothers are here. We want to talk to him. We need to see him. And so the message goes out, and they're supposed to be listening. Um, In case you're wondering, Jesus did have brothers and sisters. He had half-brothers and half-sisters. Mary and Joseph were married, and they had many children. We don't know what has happened to Joseph by this point. It's assumed that he's passed away sometime, but before that, they had lots of kids. Uh, We know of at least four brothers, and we don't know how many sisters, but at least two. Um, In Matthew chapter 13, verse 54... We actually see Jesus returning back to his home country and people using his family against him because they know his family. So in Matthew 13, verse 54, it says, And when he came to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas or Jude? His sisters, are they not with us? In other words, we know this guy. There's no way he's the Messiah. We know his brothers, normal guys. We know his sisters, right? He's he's the son of a carpenter. There's no way he's the Messiah, and so they don't believe in him. And Jesus explains that nobody has honor in their own country. And so, Jesus' mom and his brothers are here. And it's important to understand in John 7, 5, that his brothers don't believe in him. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's the Son of God. They think he was a mistake. Mark chapter 3, verse 32 says, And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. Hey, the message gets there. Your mom and your brothers, they're here, and they want to see you. 
And the assumption behind that statement is that Jesus will stop whatever he's doing to tend to his mother and brothers. We go back to the scene of the concert. Imagine if you had a band playing, and all of a sudden the lead singer's kids show up. Okay? They don't need backstage passes. They don't need to be sitting in the VIP section. They show up, and he says, oh yeah, come on back. Come see your dad. Come see your mom. You know, it's family. So the assumption is, as soon as Jesus finds out that his mom and brothers are here, they get welcomed back, and they get to speak with Jesus. And so what Jesus said is absolutely shocking. It's shocking to them. And and really, it's shocking to us as well. I think sometimes we might tend to read a passage like this and then assume that we just don't understand the culture, and so that's why it doesn't make sense. That's why it seems like Jesus was being rude, but really he wasn't. But they assume the case, they're playing the family card, they should get to talk to Jesus. And so listen to what Jesus says in verse 33. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Can you imagine? Hey, your mom and your brothers are here. Who are my mom and brothers? Not them. You want to know who my mom and my brothers are? Do you want to know who my family is? Look around you. Look at my disciples. Look at the apostles. Look at the women that follow me every day. Look at those people, and you'll find my real, true family. It is shocking. It's kind of rude. Okay? There's not a way of explaining this that makes it sound really nice and fluffy and like it's all good. It's not. It's not what everybody expected. He goes on. Because we've got to understand that Jesus isn't doing this just to be a jerk, right? Like, he's not, he's not trying to be a punk. Like, I don't know, who, who are they? They haven't been nice to me, and so I'm not going to be nice to them. He's not, like, bitter or angry toward them. He is doing this because he wants to make an important point. And Mark, by the Holy Spirit's power, records this because Mark thought that we needed to learn this message as well. And so let's, let's try and figure out what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Verse 35 says, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sisters and my mother. So it's not just the people at this, in this room and the table. It's, it's all those who will seek to do the will of God. In other words, there is a different family that is of greater importance than my biological one. That's what Jesus is saying. And the only way to be in this family is to do the will of God. And at that moment, at least in this case, at this time, his brothers are not a part of that family. They're not in the real family of God. They don't believe. They reject. They believe that Jesus is a lunatic. They think that he's a crazy religious fanatic. They don't think he's the Messiah, the Savior. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. That Jesus' own brothers were not considered a part of his family just by right of blood. If anybody should be able to claim proximity to Jesus as a reason for 
them being accepted by him, it has to be his brothers, right? It has to be his family, his biological family. And yet Jesus makes it abundantly clear in this teaching that his family are those that do the will of God. They had shared DNA with Jesus, and that wasn't enough to make them a part of his true family. Are you shocked? Some of the like fuzzy feelings about being a part of the family of God are gone, aren't they? Jesus said that to his mom and his brothers? Yeah, he did. This story is both shocking and highly unpopular among Western Christianity. We want to brush it off. We want to bypass it. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, it's, it's Christmas time, right? And Christmas is all about Jesus and the family. That's so why we celebrate Jesus, but we celebrate them with the family. Even within the church, it's, this holiday is very family-focused, right? I know it is in our house. It's a big deal. We have family traditions. We, we get together. We sit down. We enjoy nice meals together. We talk. We go over the Christmas story. I mean, so much of it is family-oriented. And I'm preaching this message that's about like, hey, your family means nothing. Right before Christmas. Bad timing, right? You got, you got to stick with me, because I think we find a few times in Scripture that Jesus says things that are shocking on purpose. He shocks us to get our attention, to draw us to a truth that he wants us to see. And so I think that's what he's doing today. And so I want to give you a few points of application that I think Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, to teach people there, and to teach us as well. And the first one is, the family should not come First, if you search familyfirst.anything, you will be brought to a Christian website. Christians are for family first, right? And the first point is, the family should not come first. There is something more important than your nuclear family, your biological family, than your immediate family. It is not the most important thing. Jesus makes this clear in a way that almost seems rude. They deserve special treatment. Everybody expects them to get it. And he says, no way. Harsh, right? If you want to see harsh, look at Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hates not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty shocking. You don't hate all of these other people, you can't be a disciple of Christ. Now again, Jesus is saying something in a shocking way to get our attention. And I think we understand that what he's saying is that, that he has to become before those people. Right? He has to come first. It's not okay to put your family above Jesus, before Jesus. Jesus always deserves first place. Kevin DeYoung said, Worship of the family is the most common acceptable practice of idolatry among churches in the West. It would be very common to hear a testimony about a person who was once enslaved to drugs or alcohol, but had come to Christ and been freed. 
Or maybe they were greedy and they, their life was all about money and they found their satisfaction in money. But then they came to Christ and they found a new identity and a new purpose in life, right? You find so many sins that it's okay for those things to be, have been a problem in the past, but now Jesus has changed them. You ever heard a testimony about somebody who said that their life, was their, their, their family, was their idol? But they came to Christ? And God changed them? No. Why not? Because it's pretty acceptable to have your family as kind of an idol in your life. That gets first. And that's kind of okay because we're Christians and we're for the family. And I am obviously absolutely for the family not for the family first. That's not the most important thing in your life. That's not what you've been created for. You have been created for the glory of God. You've been created to serve God, to worship God, to praise God, to obey God. And your family needs to find its place in God's design. And when that happens, I promise you, everything works better. Your relationship with your wife, your husband, works better when you find it in the place that God has designed. Your relationship with your children finds better. It works better when they're in the place that God has designed. It said in the past, uh, we we lived in a a civilization that was a patriarchy. And I I think that's changed. Uh, I don't think it is that way anymore. And some people might say, well, it's a matriarchy. I heard one person say that it was a childrenarchy. That's, that's interesting. And the point is, when you look at our culture, right, what we live in all the time, children have become the focus. And parents live for their children. They live for their children's happiness. And when I say that, it just doesn't, sound, it doesn't ring wrong. It sound bad. But your children can be an idol in your life. Your children were not designed to be your purpose. They're not designed to be the thing that you find all your joy in and your peace in and your contentment in. You're supposed to find your identity not in being a mom or a dad, but being in a child, being a child of God. Right? Being a son and daughter of the King of Kings. And your children have a place in your life, absolutely. In fact, your children, under God's design, have an immensely important place in your life. But it's not first place. And we've got to get this relationship right. Otherwise, we are in a whole lot of trouble. We act like making children the center of our universe is acceptable behavior. And it's just not. It's not the way God designed. You know that that almost everything that we talked about that people turned from, maybe with the exception of drugs, are good things, right? People turn from sex to God. Sex is a good thing. God created it. He designed it for a purpose. Okay? Talk about money. Money's not evil in and of itself. Things aren't evil. All of the sins that we turn from it's usually not things that are, that are in and of themselves evil. It's things that have been put in a wrong place in our life. And I fear that we are okay with putting our family in a wrong place in our life. And we, we need to recognize that, that it's possible for our families to be an idol. 
All right? So family does not come first. Before I, I clarify or, or I soften that a little bit, I want you to feel the weight of it. Yeah, I want you to feel uncomfortable about it because I think Jesus said it this way to make us uncomfortable. I think that that's what's supposed to happen here. Because that's when you think. Right? So think about that. Now recognize that Jesus loved his family. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, Jesus is lost in the temple. He's not lost. He knows where he is. His parents can't find him. And eventually they find him and they're upset with him because, where did you go, Jesus? You know, we were, we were trying to take care of you and you just ran away. And, and Jesus says, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? But then in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. In other words, Jesus obeyed his mom and dad. He had a normal relationship like, like God had designed for him to have with his parents. And the next verse says he grew in favor with, in, in wisdom with God and man. So he was obeying those people that he ought to obey in his life. He was having normal, good, healthy relationships. And then do you know when Jesus was on the cross, he uttered seven different sayings. Seven times from the cross he spoke. And one of those times, John chapter 19, verse 26, says when Jesus, so Jesus is here in agony separated from his Father in heaven, bearing the wrath of mankind, having just been tortured and is, is currently bleeding out. John nineteen twenty six, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to his disciple, Behold thy mother, And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Seven times Jesus spoke from the cross. And one of those times, it was to make sure that his mom was cared for. That's pretty pretty awesome. Jesus loved his family. He loved his mom. He had good family relationships, normal family relationships. I think Jesus was a perfect son and a perfect brother. So this is not supposed to be a, a lesson or a sermon that Jesus is trying to teach us here to say, you know what, your family means nothing, just get rid of them, you don't need them, they're, they're junk. Okay, the only family you have now is the family of God. That's, that's not it. The Bible is abundantly clear about the responsibilities that God gives us in our different roles toward our family. And obeying God means fulfilling those roles. So for children, your role is obedience and, and honor toward your parents. You ought to fulfill that role because that's God's design. For fathers and for mothers, your job is to bring your kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You should be teaching them and modeling truth for them. Okay? It shouldn't be that you bring your, church, your kids to church to learn about Jesus. You should be teaching them all the time. And we are here, the youth group is here, only to support you in what you're trying to do. But that's your responsibility. And God gives that to us, and that's a great thing. Husbands and wives have incredible responsibilities toward one another. In fact, I don't think the Bible gives us a a greater uh, close-knit relationship than what's supposed to be between a husband and wife. We're supposed to represent the love of Christ for the church and, and the submission of church to Christ. And so if you are to obey God, 
you are going to be an amazing wife and an amazing husband, and you're going to have a, a wonderful relationship that way. I know, I understand, it takes two people, and, and, and life is really messy, and life is really hard. But God's design is for a beautiful family. But God comes first. And, in a way, God's family comes first. There is a bond that you share with other believers that is eternal. And that, you might not have that same kind of bond with your family. And I know there are some people here today that they don't have the closeness that they wish they had with their nuclear family, but they do have a family here. They have a family, the family of God that they're a part of. And that's so meaningful. And that, that's God's design. And that's eternal. That bond is eternal. So the family doesn't come first. The second thing I think we see is that there is only one way to be a part of God's family. Okay? There's only one way to be a part of God's family. In this passage, Jesus is not denying his earthly family. Rather, he is taking the opportunity to draw attention to a more important family, the family of God. We like to believe that all people are automatically sons and daughters of God by virtue of birth. That is, a baby is born, it is automatically a child of God. That's not, again, what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that every person is automatically a son or a daughter of God, that everybody is just a part of the family of God because they're all human beings. The Bible teaches, in fact, the opposite. That we are, by birth, enemies of God. That we are sinners by nature. Right? That we were conceived, in a, even in, our, in the womb, we were sinners. We didn't have the ability, the, the mental capacity to sin at that point, but we had the nature within us, passed on from generation to generation eight. And so we possess a fleshly nature that is contrary to the nature of God. We take pleasure in the sin that he has forbidden. We worship the creation rather than the creator. We are unthankful, unholy, unjust, unrighteous, God gave us a set of laws, and we break every one. That is the state of mankind apart from God. And so we are not a part of God's family magically because of our birth. There is one way to be a part of God's family. There's one writer uh, that, that we sing often, um, All I Have is Christ. And the first verse goes, I, was, I once was lost in darkest night. Yet I thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state led me to the cross. Apart from God leading us to the cross and understanding the death of Christ in my place, I have no part of the family of God. I can't. I'm a rebel to God. I have the wrath of God. I'm at enmity with God, right? We are, we are against one another in every way. 
And God saw that, and he saw my helplessness, and he saw my hopelessness, and he saw my evil heart. And he sent his son to die for that sin so that I could be reconciled, so that I could be made right with him, so that I could be his child, his son or or daughter for eternity, only because of what Christ has done, only through Christ. I think it was last week we sang the song, Oh, Sing My Soul. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago. I love that song because it really tells the whole story. And in verse 2, it begins by talking about God's creation. The triune God created all from his joy and that it was all good. Then he says, what perfect friendship, what perfect communion we shared. Adam and Eve in the garden had perfect friendship and communion with God. But choosing death, we fell from life aside the guilty pair. That was our choice. In nature and by choice, we are enemies of God. If you are here today without Christ, you are not a part of the family of God. That's what the Bible says. He says that his family is comprised of those who do the will of God. Must do the will of God. Now, the question is, what is the will of God? How do I do the will of God? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Timothy writes, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will, here's the will part, this is what's good in his eyes, will have all men to be saved and to come to the no, unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The will of God is that we would be reconciled to him, that we would be saved and to know the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is that there is one God and that we're sinners, and that we're lost, but there's one mediator, one go-between between God and men, Jesus Christ. And so here we're separated from God. God sees the separation, and he sends Jesus to bridge the gap, to come to us, to bring us to him. And it's God's will that we know that, and that we're saved, that we become a part of the family of God. And Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His will is that you repent and you come to him. And so if you don't know Christ, how do you do the will of God? You believe in Christ as your, as your Savior, as the one who died in your place to forgive you of your sin. In John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God. To believe on him whom he hath sent. You want to know what God wants from you? He wants you to believe in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you become a part of this family that Jesus is now referring to. That leads me to my last point, and it will be brief. The door to the family of God is wide open for all those who believe. You need to understand that. This, this might sound exclusive to you, that, that only Jesus, Jesus is the only way, right? And, and it is, in a sense, 
But here's the amazing thing. When Jesus looks around, he says, These, this is my family. And he refers to those who have chosen to follow him. or his disciples. And then he goes on, he says, and all that do the will of God. In other words, all that repent and believe are a part of my family. All. Every single person who will repent and put their faith in Christ will be a part of the family of God. The door is wide open for you today. So you don't have to lament in your seat about the fact that you're not a part of the family of God. Today you become part of the family of God. You you, you repent and put your faith in him and ask him to save you. And he puts his spirit inside of you and he washes you of your sin and he makes you his child. It is a glorious truth. Mankind has devised countless ways to get ourselves to heaven. Follow this philosophy, this religion, do this tradition, this religious thing, this sacrament. It's all our ways, our ideas. It's all wrong. God has given one way, and that's Christ. Very familiar verse in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I don't think I would choose this text to teach my children how I want them to treat me someday. I don't want my kids to treat me like Jesus treated his mother in this, in this case. right? But I think Jesus is pretty smart. and He had a reason for saying what he did and doing what he did. And I hope today we get that message. I hope we get what he's trying to teach us. He was reminding us that though family is important and it has a place in God's design, it is not most important. He's reminding us that there there are those who are in the inner circle and there are those who are without. In In these verses, it's actually astonishing how many times it says that Jesus' family, his biological family, is on the outside. And he says, do you want to know who's within, who's in the family? It's those who do God's will. It's those who believe on the one that God sent for them. So there is an inner circle. There is a family of God. And there are those who are without that family, who are not a part of it. I also think he wants us to understand that the door to being in his family is wide open. The invitation is clear. It is there. Jesus is inviting you today, if you don't know him, to be a part of his family. In John 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Anybody goes through Christ and they'll be saved. That's a promise of God. The invitation is here. The Spirit of God is working. And so if, if, if God is convicting you in any way today, right, if he is reminding you of the place that your family deserves in your life, I'm asking you, respond to the Spirit of God. Right? Don't just listen and be like, oh, that's interesting. Walk away. Listen for the, the Spirit of God in your life and respond to, to God. And if God today has shown you that maybe you're not right now a part of his family, today can be the day you repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ and become a child of God forever. To have the, the, the matter settled forever. 
And so I would encourage you to listen to the work of the Spirit in your life. Obey. Respond to the gospel. Let's pray.